Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Three cheers for His Majesty the King. Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. Those few housekeeping reminders, as always, follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Email us info at gallerypodcast.com. We've heard from some of you that are going over to London for the coronation and want to meet up at Joshua's Tavern. We're excited for that. So please keep telling us if you're going to be over there and want to do a little listener meetup. Rachel, what do we have for the Royal News of the Week? Well, we are officially one month out this week from the coronation, which actually blows Ooh. my mind, Roberta. And this is perfectly timed because we are joined by I know it's it's really overwhelming I feel like our schedule our Google Doc is on overdrive um but perfect timing because we are joined by the wonderful Daniela Ralph royal correspondent for the BBC to give us the lowdown of what to expect that weekend she's fantastic everyone will love this interview we're also doing a quick recap of Charles's very successful Germany visit with Camilla, making a few TIG predictions, celebrating an Earthshot announcement, and a very special royal anniversary. Roberta, you and me, we got to talk about it. I know, Rachel. Let's cheers to that for our royal refreshment. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. This week we have an Easter cocktail in celebration of Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. This is from mixologist Simone Bailey, who we've tapped in the past for drink recipes. This one sounds incredible. It has Empress 1908 gin, lime juice, grapefruit juice, one egg white, and you serve it in a martini glass with grapefruit zest garnish. Gorgeous. Oh, I'm making this I love on Sunday it. for sure. Delicious. I honestly just cannot wait to see all the royals. Like, I think we'll get some appearances on Sunday, which is very exciting. So exciting. But we also are celebrating something really big, right, Roberta? Yes. We are celebrating our three-year anniversary of taking over the podcast. I cannot believe it's been three years. So cheers to you and I. This has been cheers. such a labor of love. And we hope that you guys have enjoyed the last three years of having Rachel and I in your ears. I just honestly think back to that, Roberto, when we were, it was the beginning of the pandemic. We took this on. I remember stacking books in Maine with my phone on top close to my, like, we just didn't have any, you know, we were, everyone in the world was kind of just um, MacGyvering their whole work existence during that time. And as were we. Uh, all the Zoom setups. I know we're we're a little bit more professional now with our mics and uh, some of our in-person recordings. But all right, let's get into the listener email. I Wait, I want to add, Rachel, one more thing is that it has been such a joy to be across the screen such and sometimes joy. across the desk from you. And I could never do this with anyone else. I truly feel like that has been the absolute gift. And you and I say this to each other frequently, and I'm glad that we appreciate it. But it really has been this amazing experience to do this together and just I don't know I'm it, it makes me tear up to think about it oh okay we're gonna save our tears for later <laughs> yeah when we're and in our, London let's just our like love cheers fest. a lot together yeah. yes yeah <laughs> no, we forgot we had an audience for that one moment but let's keep going listener email all right. So Kelsey wrote to us. She said, long time listener, first time caller, as the saying goes. I love it. I love that saying. 
Uh, she said, I had a suggestion for a guest. This TikToker lives in the Tower of London and has a new book coming out. I think she would make a really interesting guest. I had to click. It's at Megan Amber, but the E in Amber is an X. And if you click on her TikTok, it's incredible. She actually lives inside the Tower of London. Such good content. Her dad, I think, is a beefeater guard is what she said. So that's why they live in this apartment with all this tower guard paraphernalia it's really cool to see um rachel did you check that out i did and she has a novel coming out this month too which looks fantastic as the listener said and i want to read it and it's like a romance novel about the tower guards it's just it's just a, it's a but she said it's not based on her life just sort of the initial setup but then the rest is all fictionalized but it seems yeah. fantastic but you write what you know you know all right we also, like I mentioned before, had some people write into us that they are going to be in London on Friday night before the coronation at the Londoner Hotel Gin Bar, which is where we'll all meet up called Joshua's Tavern. We're so excited to see you there. If you're going to be there, let us know. And we can't wait. We'll be all excited and jittery for the coronation the next day. It's going to be great. I know. Coronation Eve. It's the perfect timing for a get together. All right, Roberta, this week in royal history. And now, this week in royal history. This is kind of out of left field, but on April 7th, 2017, The TIG officially shut down. Meghan Markle said that's a wrap on her lifestyle website, The TIG, after nearly three years of running it. Looking back at the timing for this, it was before her engagement. That came in November 2017. And right when the rumors were bubbling up that she was going to be leaving Suits, obviously devastated, that ended up coming at the end of season seven. You guys know, if you've been longtime listeners, that I fell in love with this show during the pandemic. It was always in my orbit, but I didn't always, like a lot of people recommending it, finally tuned in, loved Rachel Zane, but loved everything about it. Quick detour. But anyways, there was a brushing off that there was any relation to her relationship with Harry, that the decision to shut it down was purely career-focused. She was going to be doing more philanthropic work and wanted to focus on suits, actually. But also going on in the background, because she was dating Harry, was that the TIG was providing a ton of fodder for the British tabloids at the time. We all know how that played out. Finding Freedom actually confirmed that the shutdown was due to the intense media scrutiny that Megan was under. And the site didn't just go dark. It was deleted, basically, when it shut down. They cut it. Although, of course, as we know, I'm interrupting myself, that all the internet sleuths, royal sleuths, basically have it all, thanks to Wayback Machine, so many different sites. Yeah. But this brings us to today, Roberta, which I feel like you need to take the credit for this, but just your brilliant mind, the wheels turning. We might be having a TIG moment, which, as we know, means a potential moment of discovery here. Oh, that was good, Six years later, is the TIG coming back this week? I just feel like it has to be coming back because we've heard these rumors about the copyright and the trademarking um, patents that have been filed. And I do feel like she always, Megan always aims for a special anniversary, whether it's like International Women's Day or not. Yeah. Yeah. Her birthday, 40 for 40. So who knows? But that's our prediction. You've heard it here I will say, because obviously we've been following the U.S. trademark and patent application, could be saying that it's there's potential for a revival. But I did also read that she frequently renews this because it's her best way of preventing fraud with this. That said, a lot of people are making predictions, too, because Megan is in a new place in her life, starting to kind of have all these different editorial initiatives like archetypes and things like that. So dot, 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 we shall see. Exciting. 
on a Megan note, she is going to be in New York City, official confirmation. We, we get most excited about New York because it is so close to our own lives. But she will be here May 16th in town to receive an award from Gloria Steinem. Doesn't she call her Glow? At the 2023 oh. Women of Vision Awards, which is very exciting. This is hosted by the Ms. Foundation, which Gloria co-founded. And this is the 50th anniversary for that foundation, which is really phenomenal and exciting. Incredible. I had no idea Gloria Steinem was presenting the award. That's an amazing, amazing. Yes. It's coming up so fast. Well, I guess it's after the coronation. So if she flew direct back to New York, who knows how that's going to work she's out. Going. I'm assuming they're going. <laughs> I, know, I'm assu- I know. I just assumed they were going. But yeah, that's a that's just a hope, hope, pipe dream, maybe. Roberta, are you feeling like life right now is BC <laughs> before coronation, like after coronation. It's like, oh, absolutely. When I saw May 16th, I felt so much relief because I was like, oh, okay, life will be calmer then, which is great. But it is at the Ziegfeld Ballroom. Tickets are pricey, but I still feel like we're going to try and work out a way to be in proximity, if not in the room. She also got the Gracie Award. So she's really rolling in the awards this this week, which is really impressive. All right, moving on to the royal state visit to Germany. I know we touched on this last week, but it really just kicked off as we recorded. So I wanted to touch on some of the highlights that I loved. One was the state banquet. We obviously got all the jewels and glitter and crowns. It was uh, actually the Boucheron tiara that Camilla chose to wear with her Bruce Oldfield black and silver embroidered gown. It was one of the Queen Mum's favorite tiaras, and I thought that was really poignant since our last week in history was uh, the Queen Mum passing, and it was the anniversary of that on March 31st, 2002. So I think that was really... um, a special choice to wear that. She also wore Queen Elizabeth's necklace, we know. Another highlight was Charles and the Cheese Factory. I did not come up with that headline, but it was incredible. It was a cheese factory that he visited in Germany. He got his hands dirty or cheesy making the cheese. <laughs> um, uh, another big highlight was his speech at the Bundestag, which is their German parliament in Berlin. He got a standing ovation for this speech. He spoke German and made a few jokes. Uh, this was the jokes came at the state banquet, but he spoke German throughout um, a couple of his speeches while he was there. I think actually everyone he he had some German in there and it really, really impressed the audience. It sounded like uh, here's a little clip of his joke. Und es ist schön von Ihnen, dass äh, Sie gekommen sind und mich nicht mit einem Dinner for One <lacht> alleine lassen. You heard he got the whole crowd laughing. They loved it. Dinner for One is a uh, television show that is a tradition in Germany to watch on New Year's Eve. So I thought that was really funny. He hinted at that at a state banquet when he's surrounded, of course, by lots of people at dinner. So it was a hit. CNN branded it triumphant, the state visit. The Independent said the German visit won hearts. So it really was a success, but I think what, and the success came a lot from the diplomacy, from the speeches, but I think what was missing, and Rachel, I, maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't, is that it, just the the fashion and the highlights uh, on Camilla and Charles's side, I think I just got a little bit tired of the double-breasted suits in every single picture. I don't know. I just, there, yeah. there needs to be that, like, 
Kate Middleton, Meghan Markle-esque fashion to it to really grab the attention. And maybe that's just me. And that's so, no, I, you know. I, I agree. Like, that's but. kind of the the modern, more modern feel that can come from the younger royals. But I do feel happy for them that it was such a success and that it seemed like just the the general coverage of it was that he was the diplomacy win and how seamless and looking forward he was and the relationship building that he did. It is great for the royals to have a win like this. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think diplomatically, it's such a huge, huge success post-Brexit, the allies that they need in navigating that territory. So uh, just wish that Camilla could up her fashion game a little but bit. I did. But, you know, that dress was great. The Bruce Oldfield was good. I was going to say, I went back and forth on it. And then when I saw some of the more close-ups of it, I did think it was incredibly striking. And yeah. she has such a warmth about her. So I was I was impressed by that one. All right. Our conversation with Daniela Ralph. We want to just preface this by saying that we recorded with her on Tuesday this week. And of course, this always happens to us. A major, major coronation news drop happened just last night. Mainly the big reveal that I think was just all over my Instagram feed was the invitation. Roberta, how striking was this? Stunning. I saw so many people say, like, this belongs on that wedding site over the moon or Rifle Paper Co. or even yes. like Liberty of London. It was just gorgeous. Yeah, it's a mix of watercolor and gouache, which Rifle Paper Company, because I interviewed the founder many, many, many years ago, used gouache for her original designs. I don't know what she uses today. But it really, I think for me, was the nod back to Queen Elizabeth II's invitation for a very young four-year-old Charles in 1953. And fascinating that the person, Andrew Jameson, that dreamed up this design had no knowledge of that card and it still had those parallels. I thought that that was really a cool coincidence. Still, what stood out the most to me, Roberta, and it just like, I know that it's happening, but Queen Camilla. Yeah. But I think I've accepted it at this point since so many people are just dropping the consort anyway in the news coverage. But I but know. But seeing I the know. formality, it's, like in that I know. invitation, I know. it's like, this is happening. And I don't want to say it because I think I'll get yelled at for saying it, but it's just like, you think back to the whole legacy and history with Charles and just like that this has happened in our lifetime. Like I just remember, you know, you think of the the 1995 interview with Diana and all this stuff. It's just fascinating how time moves along. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I, I also was struck by the the C's, the interlocking C's at the top. Not interlocking, but there's a gold C and then there's like a C made out of a vine of a flower inside of it. And I just thought back to those cufflinks that were worn on their honeymoon <laughs> trip, him and Diana and the C's and how painful that would be to see that on your own honeymoon and then to see this on the invitation to C's. Ugh, I don't know. I understand but it's happening. Mixed we're moving feelings. forward, yep. right? <laughs> also revealed after our chat with Daniela was the role of the kids George is officially going to be one of the four pages of honor. He will have a very formal role. This is a huge deal. I understand for what I've read that this has been worked out very carefully with Kate and William, but he is incredibly young to have this. He will be carrying the king's robes. Other children that will be participating, Rose Hanbury's son, Oliver, his dad is King Charles's lord-in-waiting, in addition to Camilla's three grandsons. They'll have a have a role. Any of the symbolism that struck you for the invitation? Like, did anything stand out? Like, any of the flowers, or were you just like taking? I it think all? just the the 
the representation of Charles as the Green King, I think that that is a really, really important legacy for him. And I love that that was woven into the design. How about you? Yeah, that I was going to say that, that it seems very manly to have the green man who's like a part of British folklore at the bottom of it. Um, that just felt it's like it's now it's a man's turn. I don't know. We've had a queen for, you know, seven decades. And so that just it struck me. And it's also got a lot of pagan symbolism. But I read that there is that same exact green man statue in Westminster Abbey. And so it's actually above um, an entrance to the choir, I believe, part of the church. So it's in a lot of Christian churches as well, but it's a lot of, I guess, the pagan symbolism through flowers and um, and this green man and some other uh, animals and things like that. So it's really interesting. It's really, really interesting. I We know, you know, that he's going to incorporate a lot of different religions for the ceremony, it sounds like. So paganism versus religion i don't know but it's just such a it's such an intricate invitation i don't think any of us expected and it really echoes the coronation emblem that's what i was struck by as well Rose, we're less than a month from the coronation of King Charles and Queen Camilla, a historic celebration which we haven't seen the likes of in 70 years. So we thought, who better to give us the lowdown on what to expect over the weekend of May 6th than Daniela Ralph, royal correspondent for the BBC. Fun fact for everyone that loves tuning into the BBC's coverage specifically, you'll be able to watch their coronation programming in full from the U.S., streaming on BBC.com come May. No VPN required. On that note, welcome, Daniela. Hi there. Hi. Lovely to be here. So first, Danielle, we're going to chat about the invites and then the ceremony itself, the regalia we'll see on full display, and finally, a little few logistical details that we're curious about. As far as invites go, who has confirmed to be invited so far that you know of? Right. In terms of invitations, what's happened is the save the dates have gone out. And what Buckingham Palace have done is put all the possible guests in separate groups. So you're either immediate family, your uh, members of European royalty, your prime ministers and presidents, your charity, whatever. There's all these different groups. They've all had a save the date. Around three weeks or so out, so around now, the hard copies, the hard card copies sent to people's homes of the coronation invitations, which are going to look pretty spectacular, I would think, are going out individually to people's homes that they will have to then properly directly RSVP to again. So the save the dates are giving a rough idea of who's going. The hard card RSVPs are the definite. So there's these two stages of sorting out the invitations for the coronation. But in terms of who's going, um, you know, it's who you would expect. All immediate members of the royal family, that includes Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, invited. Still no confirmation on whether they'll definitely be turning up in London for that weekend. Um, Also members of the European royal families, the Danes, the Swedish, the Norwegians, the Dutch, will all be invited. Um, What we'll see a lot more of compared to 1953 and the Queen's coronation are more, for want of a better phrase, ordinary people. So the Queen's coronation was full of dukes and duchesses and um, members of the House of Lords here, you know, the great and the good. This time round, there'll be less of those people. They won't get an automatic um, invitation. So the British aristocracy will not just automatically go to the King's coronation because of who they are. Um, Instead, Mm. it'll be a much more selective list around the kind of work, charity, projects the King has been invested in over the years. 
years. And a lot of those people will find they have made the cut for the coronation guest list. Oh, that's fascinating. And speaking of Meghan and Harry, I want to ask, what is your prediction for whether they will attend? God, so tricky, isn't it? I, if you were asking me in this moment to predict, I think they'll be here. I think they will be mm-hmm. here. Um, you know, it's a massive moment, regardless of what has gone on and the wrangling and difficulty of the past couple of years. You know, for Harry, his father's coronation is one heck of a moment, really, isn't it? And you would just imagine that they would want to be there. I mean, I think actually the Jubilee was a bit of a template template into how this could work in the sense we didn't see a lot of them. They didn't take part in the big family moments, but we did see them at the big Thanksgiving service for the Queen that weekend. So at the big formal events, effectively the coronation service, I think there's a pretty good chance that we'll see Harry and Meghan there. I hope so. But who knows? And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah we're knows. excited exactly. yeah, to exactly. see how it plays out. One last question for the invitation. So we have seen some stories bubbling up about the claims office that's handling some requests for the aristocrats and their descendants to be given these really special jobs during the coronation. Like I I saw one story bubble up about the herb strewer that gets to walk in front and (laughs) and throw flowers in front of the king. So can you tell us any more about that? Have you seen those, those articles? Yes, I have. And it's a really interesting aspect of this coronation compared to the last one, actually, which that's a really good example of how things might be different. There are a lot of these ancient roles that would normally have fallen to the British aristocracy just because of the family they've been born into, that they would be given an official role at the coronation. I don't think that's going to happen this time round. Some of those will exist and there are some very fixed roles that they will want to continue with this time round. But I think a lot of those ancient roles that sort of don't really mean anything and seem actually a bit sort of silly for 2023, I just don't think they're going to happen this time round. And that's why there's a, there is a little bit of friction because there are some families who would just expect to be involved because they have always been involved for centuries. They may not find themselves involved this time round. Well, moving on to the ceremony, we do have a general idea of how the weekend will look with the coronation, the concert, the big lunch, the big help out, and the actual coronation day with the procession. But we are seeing some adjustments from, of course, Queen Elizabeth II's ceremony many, many decades ago. So how, what are the differences you can speak to? What are the similarities? Yeah, so I think the first thing to say is what will happen for people who do my job and we'll be working on the coronation day is at some point, probably in the next couple of weeks, Buckingham Palace will give us a really big briefing on every little detail of the coronation. We haven't had it yet because a lot of it is still being worked out. Um, You know, I say that, it's probably pretty set in stone now, but in terms (laughs) of the real tiny details, they're just getting all of those in place before they actually tell us. So there will be a big session where we get absolutely everything we could possibly uh, want to know. But we've had a sort of drip of various bits of information. I think The first thing that will look very different compared to 1953 is the numbers. So in 1953, you're looking at sort of 8,000 people inside Westminster Abbey, probably 2,200 this time. And actually, I was a couple of weeks ago in the Abbey having a walk through of what will happen um, on Coronation Day. And the people who work at at, uh, Westminster Abbey were telling us that, you know, Back in 1953, they closed the Abbey for a year to prepare for the coronation. Um, And they built tiered seating, so a bit like a sports stadium, you know, where you went up and you sat high. They're not doing anything like that this time. The, the, The Westminster Abbey is open for business. People will be going to worship there 
right up until coronation day, people will be carrying on visiting there. So they just can't shut it down in the same way. Um, you know, it's a major tourist attraction in London, of course, as well. So instead, it will just be as many as they can normally get in for a royal wedding or what we saw for the Queen's state funeral. So we're talking about 2,200 people. So the numbers will look very different. Um, you also mentioned the processions as well. We're going to have a King's procession to Westminster Abbey before the service, the coronation procession in the gold coach away from the Abbey once the service is over. Again, those are different. They, they took hours last time round in 1953. They'll be a lot quicker this time round in terms of the route they take through central London. So that, again, will be different. Um, in terms of what we see during the service, actually, the coronation service, the actual religious service itself, will not be terribly different. Um, there has been lots of talk about whether there'll be a multi-faith aspect to this service. So in 1953, it was all about the Church of England and the monarch here in the UK is head of the Church of England. This time round, I think perhaps we could see some aspects of different faiths being reflected in that service too reflect a more diverse Britain and a more diverse world. So that may look a little bit different in, ter in terms of the service as well. Um, the music, again, some changes there. The, the king, I don't know if you know already, but he has commissioned 12 pieces of music for this coronation. Mm. He has absolutely had his hands all over the music of this coronation. It's very much what he likes, what he wants. He's commissioned each individual um, musician or composer or conductor to take part in the service, there will be a gospel choir. Um, the BBC is also involved in a project called the Coronation Choir, where members of the public will be will form a coronation audition and form a bit sort of like an X Factor, you know, America's Got Talent for a choir <laughs> to kind of wow. um, uh, be part of a coronation choir for Coronation Weekend. So there's lots of much more modern aspects, I suppose, to the music and some of the religious elements, as well as mixing the long-standing traditions as well. So it'll be a, a, a mashup of both, I suppose. But I think it will look and feel a bit different. It will also be a lot shorter. Um, 1953, the Queen's coronation, well over three hours, this wow. one. Um, you're looking, I think the BBC, who is the, the main broadcaster, is accommodating sort of an hour and a half for the main okay. service or so. So, I mean, let's see how that plays out. Um, in terms of what we'll see, there were elements of 1953 that we did not see, particularly the anointing. Now, oh, my yes. understanding is that we will see that this time round. So um, there has been a sort of to and fro about that. But I think this coronation service, none of it will be hidden away. Everything will be there for everybody to see. So those are the main things I think that perhaps for, for most people watching might look and feel a bit different compared to 1953. Yeah. Now, is there really a mock abbey set up inside Buckingham Palace for practice? We've read some of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think they, they are practicing at Buckingham Palace. Whether it's quite a full mock abbey, I'm not quite sure that that's what it is. But I think there's, there are areas where the, the same measurements um, are, are sort of in place so you know where to sit and stand and look. Because, I mean, this is the problem, as I said before, because the Abbey is, oh, it's a church. It's open for people to go and worship and visit um, over the coming weeks. They don't want to completely shut it down. Yeah, so they're having sense. to, ha yeah, they're having, they have to have the capacity for the King, the Queen Consort, other members of the family to practice these sort of very traditional, ritualistic in many ways, elements of the coronation service. And that is being done, we understand, within some of the royal households. Now, will Kate have a special role within the ceremony? Do you know anything about that? Not that I'm aware of at the moment, not that they've said. Um, William probably 
will have, you know, yes. as now heir to the throne, of course, but not that we understand at the moment, nothing particularly special for the Princess of Wales. I mean, things may change and we, we don't know yet, but nothing has been highlighted to us as anything specific that she'll be okay. doing. Okay. And actually, you brought up William's role. What do you make of the shift to have William kneel to the monarch, but not Harry, even if Harry is in attendance? Well, I think it's, you know, William is heir to the throne. He is a working member of the royal family. You know, he has a status that Harry just wouldn't have had anyway, had he, you know, continued to be a working member of the royal family. So, uh, you know, I I think, you know, it, it does highlight the different paths that those two have been on for a very long time. You know, you know, William is going in one direction he will be king one day and the coronation this time round is very much part of his own preparation when he will be king one day okay just a couple more on the ceremony <laughs> what will the wales's children's role be during the coronation and how about in comparison to camilla's family as well yeah that's right um so we're still waiting on louis but our understanding is that, <laughs> he's um, the wild card but, yeah still. he's a wild card um <laughs> that prince george and princess charlotte will be at the coronation um service itself and then even if louis isn't at the service i think we can bet that he'll be in one of the carriages on the way back from the abbey potentially as part of the family um you know processing through the streets of London in those carriages so that everybody can see him and again I expect he may well be on the balcony at Buckingham Palace because we should see a balcony appearance from the family a fly past as well over the palace yes. so even if Louis if they decide Louis can't quite cope with the length and duration of the coronation service itself I think he will be with his big brother and sister when it comes to some of the other public elements of the day, like in the carriages or on the balcony. I find it hard to think that we wouldn't see him at all, even if they decide that he's just not right in the right frame of mind for the <laughs> solemn service um, yeah. in the Abbey. Yeah. And the um, on uh, Camilla's grandchildren, the talk, her, well, her two children will be there. Uh, Tom and Laura obviously will be at the ceremony, but their children, her grandchildren. Now we're there's been lots of speculation here, although not confirmed yet by Buckingham Palace, that her grandchildren will have a role in the ceremony. And it could be holding sort of like a canopy over her as she is anointed and then crowned herself so that her own grandchildren, from in a way from her, the non-royal bit of her life, will have a role to play within this very important service. Yeah, that, I mean, it's meaningful. I mean, it's a big moment for Camilla's family as well. Okay, one question. I guess this jumps slightly from the ceremony, but do you have any additional intel on how the concert planning is going? I know that made a lot of headlines. Yes, um, I don't have loads. I mean, it's a it's a be- being run as an event by the BBC, so a big event for us. Um, yeah. It is... Um, it's going to be slightly different to the Jubilee concert that people okay. might remember last summer, which was, that was very much kind of, you know, pop driven, big kind of name, names that we knew, bands of the past sort of 20, 25 years that people recognised. This is going to be a little bit more traditional and a little bit more of a mixed bag in terms of the artists. We don't know who's going to be the big headliner for that is yet, but it will be, there'll be classical elements, some more traditional music. Um, as well as probably a couple of big names that we will all have heard of and have got real global impacts on 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 that particular uh, cast list for the concert, but no confirmed names on that so far. Okay, keeping us on our toes right up to the to the weekend. <laughs> yeah, we can't yeah. wait. Very top secret. I love it. Uh, all right, Danielle, this has been so illuminating. We're moving on to coronation style. So you know, we know some of the regalia that they're going to be using: the coronation chair, the crowns, the scepter, the orb, and we did get confirmation that Queen Camilla will be wearing Queen Mary's crown, albeit with some alterations. Do you know, will the rest of the royal women wear tiaras? Is that confirmed? 
that isn't confirmed yet either. I suspect some of them will wear tiaras. Um, what we do know, of course, is those two crowns, St Edward's and Queen Mary's crown that the King and Queen Consort will be wearing are currently with the crown jeweller um, being what modified, refitted to make sure they you know, quite simply fit their heads. And we're hoping that we should get a sight of those actually in the next couple of weeks to have a look at them mm. up close. So they've been out of the Tower of London where they've been kept and have been being reworked now probably since the end of last year, since sort of Christmas time. So, you know, they're, 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 the, they're the sort of centrepiece of the jewels of the coronation, I suppose, and the thing that everybody is going to be interested in. In terms of what everyone else uh, is wearing, we're not sure yet, but expect it all to have kind of some significance. Um, you know, you'll find with jewellery of the royal family that whatever they wear, it usually means something. I was in Germany with the king and, you know, and the queen consort. I mean, everything that they wore for that trip, you know, every piece of jewellery she had had some connection either to Germany or perhaps to Queen Elizabeth. You know, that everything they wear is of significance and has some historical meaning. So I think every piece of jewellery that we see um, one of the main members of the royal family wear on Coronation Day will be of enormous significance and have a story to tell behind it. It's mm, fascinating. And yeah, because we've seen rumours recently that Kate might not wear a tiara, so we're really going to be watching out for that. Yeah. Uh, other jewels in the ceremony, the king will switch, you mentioned this, from the St. Edward's crown to the imperial state crown for the end yeah. of the ceremony. Do you know why that is that he switches? Do you know what? I don't actually. One thing about the imperial state crown is it's a lot lighter. So mm. it may be that there are some practical reasons as well in terms of moving and manoeuvring out of the abbey and what he's wearing. But I, I, I don't know when or why they'll make that switch. Yeah. yeah. We are seeing some reports that you mentioned there won't be adjustments to Westminster Abbey, but there could be stadium style seating added to the streets to help make the crowds feel yeah. fuller. Is there yeah. any truth to that or any logic to that too? I guess well, better review. Yes. I mean, I think that, that part of that is about making sure people can see. And I think the thing to remember about this coronation is, of course, unless you're really kind of around 80 years old, nobody has seen a coronation in real life ever before or could remember it. Um, you know, you'd have to have been a small child back in 1953 to have had any recollection of it. And I think there is a real keenness in London in particular and with the local authorities and councils here to to make sure that everybody can see it and in best as best as is possible. So there will be some layered seating, I think, down towards the bottom of the mall and in different areas along the procession route. There's also going to be these big screens in some of the main parks and in the main city centres around the UK as well. So people can gather and have watching the coronation as a shared experience. I think there's a real keenness that that can happen too. So, you know, there, there are lots of things that are being done to try and make this feel like a shared national experience if possible. It's a great segue into where people in London will watch. We know pubs, parks. Do you have any personal recommendations, professional recommendations <laughs> of favourite spots to go and how that sort of looks? Yeah, I mean, I think anything that's on the procession route is always just a great spot to try and see it because that is where you're going to get the real spectacle. So that is anything from Buckingham Palace, down the Mall, through Whitehall, around Parliament Square to the Abbey. All of that will look pretty spectacular. Uh, the other place is to be anywhere in that, around St James's or Green Park in front of Buckingham Palace, because if you don't get to see the procession, that's where you'll get to see the royal family on the balcony. And again, mm. that is always a great moment when they come out. And what they usually do on, on previous occasions is let the crowd kind of merge up right to the front of the palace gates. So you see the family as they come out onto the balcony. So again, that would be a really good spot if you can get one of those. 
Yeah. I guess just, you know, Roberta and I are curious, what detail are you most looking forward to? This is such a huge moment in history. You know, you've been covering the royal family for so, so long. We obviously haven't witnessed this coronation before, but is there something that you're just really excited about or a surprising detail that you've learned that that people might not be latching on to? <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested to see the service itself. So in a way, the most solemn bits of the day are actually the, the thing that we haven't seen before. So, you know, we have, you know, pomp and pageantry is something we get to see quite a lot of here. We've had a lot of it lately, not just because all of that incredible stuff we saw around the death of the Queen, but also jubilees and weddings. We've seen different versions of that quite a lot over the past, I don't know, six or seven years. But actually, a coronation service is something quite different. If you watch 1953, there is a um, a soberness, a seriousness to a coronation that is quite different to the mood of other events. And I think that will be quite something. I also think seeing Camilla crowned queen in Westminster Abbey next to Charles the King, again, for British people and globally, is going to be quite a moment. That has been, you know, an amazing journey that she has been on to that moment. And I think to see her sitting in a, a chair, a coronation chair in Westminster Abbey designed for her, I think we are understanding, having that crown put on her head. Again, I think that will be, you know, a, a bit of a wow moment. Wow. We are so excited to be over there for this. Thank you so much, Daniela, for joining us from the BBC. This has been so illuminating and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Hopefully I'll see you when you're over. Yes. Yeah. Would love that would that. be a wonderful <laughs> opportunity. No, yes. definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks. Before we adjourn the Royal Pod, our highs and lows. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. My low this week is the news, uh, the headline actually, squalid rat-infested barracks of King Charles's guards, dubbed worse than prison. These are for the Buckingham Palace guards. The barracks are where they live. It's the Coldstream, Grenadier, Irish, Scots, and Welsh guards that live here, and it looks awful it looks worse than a frat house there's backed up toilets rats in the trash bins moldy fridges there's a dead bird in the stairwell the pictures are awful i cannot believe these people live like this next to buckingham palace and just juxtaposition of that really it's it's really awful i hope that they do something about this not a good look no milo is everything to do with the kate and megan crossover generated by AI. Roberta, I was not into this, but I'm also very skeptical and unsure about anything to do with AI, but having it enter the royal sphere just, it feels so, so, so creepy. So creepy, especially because it's so realistic in some of them. It just, and it keeps coming up on my Instagram, like discover page for some reason. I know. It's almost like the algorithm is now reading it as truth as well. So it's like being served nonstop to me. And I just, I don't want to see it. Not anything to do with that pairing, but it's just, it's the AI generation part of it. It just feels like you're again, blurring like that line. And if people aren't savvy or as in the Royal know as we are, everyone it just feels like, well, they think it has truth. I don't know. I get so creeped out by this. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like you're manifesting something that would need so much work behind the scenes to even, I don't know. It just is weird. 
Uh, my high this week is that Princess Beatrice popped up in New York City. She was at the Made by Dyslexia Assembly in New York. She was joined by some Swedish royals, which was really cool, but I loved her dress. That's mainly my high, is the Beulah London navy dress that she wore. Also, I saw these recent pap photos of her kids, Wolfie and Sienna, and also baby August, Eugenie's son August. I know they're paparazzi photos, so don't yell at me, but they, the kids are just adorable. They're so, so cute. Sienna has blonde hair. August has all this red hair. He looks so much like Archie. It just, I made my day to see this. They're so cute. All right, my high is just the news for the Earthshot-related news that Jacinda Ardern, the former New Zealand PM, is the newest trustee joining the Earthshot Prize. Apparently, William consulted a ton with her before Earthshot even had a name, and I just think that this is a really fantastic surprise, a huge name to add to the list of people supporting that, and I hope that it continues to generate very tangible results related to climate change. That would be the win for all of us here. I saw just now, and um, just now she gave her like farewell speech to uh, New Zealand, and the New York Times posted a quick video of it. It's really good if you haven't watched. Oh. Made me tear up a little just yeah. how emotional she was to say goodbye. Such a fantastic leader. All right, just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating. We would love, love, love five stars if you can. We know it's, you know, your listening time is limited. So we're so glad you're here. And we would love for you to let us know what you like about the podcast. This one says, the best royal podcast. It's from Reader Right. They wrote, this is the best royal podcast. It's smart, funny, thoughtful, and well-researched. But best of all, warm, funny hosts. Wow. We are so glad you feel that way. Please, please, please leave us a review. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Email us info at gallerypodcast.com. Until next week, God save, save the, pod. the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.